Well, I worked in a meat market for a while, which may be a little difficult to believe when you look at me, but I did. And there were two separate locations, and they had different closing times. And so if you were at the one location and the shift was running down, occasionally you would get that call. And the call would always go something like this. Hey, uh, Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? Hey, we're good. We're swamped over here. We're just swamped. So we're going to need you to come on over once this location closes and give us a hand over here because the work's not done. Which, if you're working a job you love, is great. But I was not built to work in a meat market. And so when I would get that call, my heart would just sink a little bit like, oh, no. There's more work to be done. There's more work to be done. I don't know about you, I had an absolutely fantastic Easter last weekend. I was, just loved uh, our services here, loved getting to play a part in baptizing those seven people last weekend. It was absolutely incredible, and it was a reminder to me of, in a glimpse of what God wants to do through Lakeside to help transform this region with the love and hope of Jesus. And I hope it was that for you as well. And so to Lakeside, I say, our work is not done. It's just begun. And we've been looking at the last really days and hours of, of Jesus's earthly life as, as he was crucified and then he rose again. And then he hung out. He hung out for a period of about 40 days. And then he went to heaven. He ascended to heaven. But the work of, the work of God is not done. The work of God is not done when Jesus ascended to heaven. In fact, he, he left his disciples, he left his followers with a message. And that message was go. Go and tell people about the good news. Go and tell people about me. Go and tell people about what I have done. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the course of, of really the, the next couple months as we dive in. And we're going to look at the first part of the book of Acts as we look at the formation of the church. I just believe this is a really crucial time in the life of Lakeside. It's a really crucial time in so many of us that love and follow Jesus as we look at our society as a whole and we see everything that's going on and, and we know that God has placed us here for a reason and we know that God has put us here to be salt and light into our community and into the world, and yet we just kind of scratch our heads and we shake our heads, and it doesn't really matter which side of the political aisle you find yourself on right now. You're scratching your head and you're shaking your head and you're saying, how can the other side do that and see that and be okay with that? In the midst of all of this, in the midst of all that is changing, in the midst of, of all the uncertainty, we have certainty. In the midst of all the things that change, we have something that never changes. And that needs to be our foundation, and that needs to be what roots us. And so we're going to go back to the very beginning, and we're going to dream together, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to plan together, and we're going to see that God is not done working, and God wants to work right here in our region, and God wants to work through us. Us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at as we start a look at the book of Acts. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a great resource that you can download in whatever app store you utilize. And within the Bible app, there's a feature called events. And there you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201 and Lakeside Community Church will pop up. Uh, just a note, there were a couple technical difficulties earlier this morning. So if you tried to access that 
earlier this morning. You may not have seen it, but it is, at least it was right before I walked out. It's active now. Um, technical difficulties have been the name of the game around here today, all right? So I just want to thank everybody uh, that's working on these things. It's one of the most thankless jobs in the church, and it's one of the most important jobs in the church. And the problem is people only notice you when things go wrong, and that's kind of how you want it if you're working in these. Um, but just I, I just want to thank our technical teams. They've, they've been dealing with a lot of headaches. Hopefully you don't even know about most of them. Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you for, for what you've been doing. The Bible app is live now. If you have a traditional Bible with you, we're going to be in the book of Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament, right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and we're starting right at the beginning, so just go, and unless you have a study Bible with you, and then they're going into the introduction. We're not going to read that together. So we'll be in Acts 1, uh, chapter 1, if you're joining us via the stream, the verses will be available on the screen below as we look together and see how the work of God continues even after the ascension of Jesus. Acts 1, 1 to 3, we read these words. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we're going to just set the scene here a little bit. Jesus has just ascended to heaven, and, and all, all this is being recorded for us under the guidance of the Holy Spirit by Luke, the same Luke who wrote the gospel, the gospel of Luke. This is Luke's second book in the New Testament. It's addressed to the same person, Theophilus, and we don't really know much about Theophilus. We don't know much about him, but we do know that he commissioned Luke in, in his recounting of these things. Luke was a medical doctor. He had patience. He was, he was very wise, and he recorded these things. So the Holy Spirit used the same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke to also record the book of Acts for us. And Jesus, post-resurrection, he appears to his followers, he appears to the Marys, and he appears to over 500 witnesses. We know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So Jesus appears to over 500 witnesses in one setting. It is clear to a multitude of people that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is alive. And if you struggle with that concept, if you're like, how, how can we be certain? Well, here's how you can be certain. Because Jesus appeared to over 500 people, and I don't really care. I know in our day and age with CGI and all kinds of visual effects, but if you see something in the flesh and you don't have a virtual reality headset on, and you see it and you experience it, and you have to go and you have to testify about it, and you testify in court, people would say, well, that might just be your perception. And maybe... Maybe you're mistaken, or maybe you've gotten a couple of the details wrong, and maybe you have, because all of our minds are faulty. All of us, we try to recollect things, but we recollect things differently, and that doesn't mean that somebody's necessarily lying. It just means that different pieces and parts of information morph in our minds over time. Our minds, like any aspect of our bodies, are broken, and they've been impacted and affected by sin. But if you're in court, and then a second person comes in and testifies that you have a little more certainty if you're sitting on that jury. And then a third person, then a fourth person, then a fifth person. And then when the prosecution or the defense, whoever it is, calls witness number 500, you are just incredibly, incredibly annoyed that you have been stuck on jury duty for so many months, earning next to nothing, doing your civic duty. 
that you just want to get out of there. There's no question in your mind. And Jesus appears to that many witnesses that he is alive. And while staying with them, while staying with his disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. He ordered them to stay where they were, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus says, you need to stay here. You need to stay here in Jerusalem. John baptized with water. You are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And I know we have people from all across the, the spectrum here of Christianity, and we, we love that, and we're excited about that. And some of you read this, and you're excited, and you're like, absolutely, this is fantastic. And some of you read this, and you're holding on to your chair right now. Because you grew up in a church where the Holy Spirit, you're like, what is going on? That's, that's a little crazy. I don't know how I feel about all of this. And some of you are ready to bust out your tambourine right now and to play with Al on, on the last song. Because you're like, yeah, this is, this is exciting stuff, and this is incredible stuff. And for those of you who are holding on real tight right now, here's what I want you to know. The Holy Spirit is never something you need to fear. The Holy Spirit is never something you need to fear. Now, have people come and have people abused the concept of the Holy Spirit and, and labeled things Holy Spirit that probably weren't absolutely? But people do that across the board and across the spectrum in everything, in everything. And we don't all have to... We don't all have to have the same perspective, and we don't all have to agree on every nuance and everything about the Holy Spirit, but here's what we do have to recognize, that as people that love and follow Jesus, we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is an incredible gift. It's God coming and indwelling within us. That if, if, you, if you make the decision to give your life to Jesus, God literally comes and dwells within you, and he gives you gifts. And he, he convicts, and he corrects, and he transforms, and he changes. And he's at work within you. And, and at this point, this has never been experienced before. This has never been experienced. Jesus says, you need to wait. You need to wait. Because you're about to receive this gift that's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. You're going to receive the Holy, Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus tells his followers, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And they say, Jesus, are you going to establish your kingdom right now? Are you going to rule as king? Because when we read the Old Testament and we read about the Messiah, we see that the Messiah is coming to set up the kingdom. And Jesus, now you've died on the cross and you've rose again. Is now the time that you're going to establish your kingdom? And Jesus gives them a very profound answer. He says, worry about yourself. He says, it's not for you to know. It's not, it's not for you to know. I've got a plan. 
I'm God, you're not. Here's what you need to worry about. I'm about to give you a gift. I'm about to give you a gift. And you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where up to now I have told you to stay. But it doesn't stop there. And in all Judea, and in all Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This changes the entire message of the book of Acts. This changes the entire message of what every follower of Jesus needs to do. Because up to this point, the message of God was you just stay. And you wait. You stay. But Jesus says, no, no, no. When you get the Holy Spirit, the message of God goes from stay to go. And you change people where you are in Jerusalem. But you just don't stay there. And you don't just have an impact right there. You have to go to Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus says the message that I'm giving you and what the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do is take this hope and take this message across the world. And to convey the message that people need. And to take it everywhere. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And Jesus now ascends into heaven. He ascends into heaven. And his followers are just standing there staring at this. Because it would be pretty incredible to see. And then they hear a message. And the message is the promise. The promise that, yeah, Jesus ascends to heaven, but one day Jesus will descend. And that will be the answer to your question of Jesus, when are you, when are you establishing your kingdom? Which means that as bleak and as hard as it is to wrap our minds around it sometimes, that we can have hope in the fact that God's not done here. God's plans for humanity are not over. And one day Jesus will return and we can have all kinds of conversations about what that would look like. And I have my theories and you have yours and that's exactly what they are. Because if scripture wanted to be crystal clear, it would have made it for us. But it didn't. Now don't get me wrong. I think I'm right, and if you disagree with me, I think you're wrong. <laughs> but I don't know for sure. But here's what I do know. Jesus one day will return. And he will rule, and he will reign, 
But he's not done with us. And so the reason this matters is because, I don't know about you, but sometimes it can be easy to lose hope. Sometimes it can be easy to see everything that's going wrong, and not just out there, but everything that's going wrong in here. Everything that's going wrong in my life, in my family, and sometimes it can just be discouraging. And sometimes you then look out there and you're like, well, we don't got it so bad after all. We still got a little bit of common sense left. And then you start to think, but if nobody else does, then what's common sense? But God's not through. We may not like and we may not love everything that's going on. We may not like and we may not love how God's going to ultimately achieve his plan. Some of the things we're going to have to go through for God to ultimately achieve his plan. But here's what we know. We still have hope. And God has called us to be that hope, to be that salt, and to be that light. In our Jerusalem, in our immediate context, in our region, and across the world. That message has not changed, and when you start to lose hope, when the future starts to look bleak, when you start to wonder, does this even matter? What am I even doing this for? God, where are you? We just need to remember that one day, God will return. And he will make everything as it should be. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So if some of those names sound really familiar to you, they should, because those were the 11 remaining disciples. The 11 remaining disciples are gathering in the room where the Last Supper took place. And I love the, I love the imagery of this. I love the message that this communicates about God and about us and about love and about forgiveness and about grace, that there they are in the room where Jesus washed their feet and he took the bread and he took the cup and they had communion together and it spurred on so many conversations. And, and out of that room, Peter Peter said, Jesus, I don't care if I have to die. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to forsake you. And we all know how that story ends. And, and the other disciples, they all fall asleep. And then Jesus is going to be crucified after he's arrested. And they all scatter. And yet what happens? Here they are. A few weeks later. That's the God we serve. You may have been exposed to the truth. You may have given your life to Jesus. And you may have been in the midst of a really long string of some really, really, really bad decisions. And you may hear from people that you thought you loved and who thought loved you that you're unlovable. And you may start to question it yourself. Why would anyone love me? What do I have to offer? 
you start to play the mistakes in your mind over and over and over again. And the, the regrets start to drown out anything else. And you scroll through. And you just want to delete every photo on your phone because it's a reminder. What you thought you could count on. It's a reminder of all the mistakes that you made. It's, it's a reminder of, of the depths that you thought you would never go, but you were right there. It's a reminder of the people that you gave your heart to who never deserved your heart. You start to look around and you start to think of how you're disappointed in yourself. You start to think of how you've disappointed others, others that, that, lo- that really do love you. And you start to wonder, how, how can they still love me? And, th- and then you think about God and you're like, God, I've blown it. And I want you to know that your mistakes have never changed the way that God sees you and they've never changed the way that God feels about you. Peter denied Jesus three times and weeks later he's in that room and if you think we're done looking at Peter, you've got no idea what's about to come in the book of Acts because don't get me wrong, if Peter's my best friend and he does that, we're probably not gonna hear as much about him moving forward. But thank God, I'm not God. Would have liked a few less amens on that one, but okay. Uh, But that's just the reality. Because we've all blown it, we've all made mistakes, and your, your mistakes might be more public than mine, they might be grander than mine, mine might be more public than yours, mine might be grander than yours, but we've all made them, and there's still room for us in that room. They're there. And notice they're unified. Simon the zealot, the one who wants to overthrow the government. Matthew the tax collector. And they're unified. They're unified. This has got to be what we are. This has to be a picture of Lakeside. That we're unified. We've got Republicans, we got Democrats, we got independents, we got people that don't care, and we're unified. We agree to disagree on some things, and we're unified. They were devoting themselves to prayer. Devoted to prayer. And this is where I tell you again, every Monday we send out a list, and if you don't get that list of ways that you can be praying for one another, then just send us an email at prayer at lakeside-church.com, and you'll be added to the list. And it's a list where people can just know, hey, when I ask people to pray, that's what people are actually going to do. And if, if you're on the list, we ask you to do a couple things. One is when you get the prayer requests, actually pray for them. And two is not treat it as the gossip column. And if you're willing to do that, you're in. You need people to pray for you. We all do. So there's a card on the seat in front of you. And I I really appreciate the hesitancy of some of you to help us cut back on printing costs by never filling that out. But really, I gotta let you know, in terms of the budget, we're okay. So go ahead and grab that card and write down some ways that we can pray for you and put it in one of the giving boxes. And if you feel so inclined, throw a little extra something in that giving box, not your trash, as well while you're at it. 
But then, not as a way, like, we're not saying, hey, you have to pay us to pray for you. We're just saying if you love and enjoy and support the ministries of Lakeside, that's a great thing to do too. But then we can pray for that. And if you're like, hey, this one's really confidential, just write on it confidential. And it'll only go out to me or the elders. If you're like, I don't, I don't even trust the elders. I do, but okay, that's fine. I'll be the only person that sees it. Or if you're like, hey, elders, yes, but I don't trust Brian. Well, let's talk, <laughs> but that's fine. Well, let's pray for each other. Let's not just talk about this like it's a value. Let's actually put it into practice. Let's start when somebody tells us, hey, here's what's going on in my life. Make it a point right then to say, let's pray. Instead of it being an afterthought, or instead of it being the last thing that we go to, let's make it the first. Let's invite God into those areas that are really messed up. And let's invite God into those areas that are really difficult. And I, I love to pray with people. I love to pray with you. But I'm going to tell you something. My prayers aren't more magical than anybody else's. That's not how this works. So don't get me wrong. I love to pray with you, but it doesn't have to be me. And that's what Lakeside needs to be. It's got to be a collection of people that we know when we're uncertain, when life's difficult, when we have things that are just annoying these are my people. These are my support. Let's pray. And let's be those people. And that's what we see right here. That they're unified. And they're praying together. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times. Stood up among the brothers. The company of persons wasn't all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Peter, here we see it again, the God of second chances. Not only do we see God's grace here, but you know what else we see? We see the grace of others. To know and to see Peter's imperfection and not shout him down. Like, thank God we don't see here what we see on our media every single day. Like, if this was today in our culture, Peter stand up and, and you'd have people have, with bullhorns and, and whistles and yelling at him, you denied Christ, you denied Christ. Hey, Mr. Three Times, how are you? Like, that's all you would hear. But you have people that know, they know exactly what Peter did. But when you've been changed by grace, you're gracious in how you treat others. And as people that love and follow Jesus, let's just make sure that that defines our lives as well. And I get that it's countercultural, and I get that that's the same courtesy that probably isn't going to always be extended to you. But let's be gracious. And Peter starts explaining the scripture to them. And, and we don't have time to, to look at it right now. Um, 
but verses 17 through 20 in the slides and the lower thirds are, are in the system. We're just gonna, we're gonna skip right past those, but he closes the book on Judas. He, he goes into some detail of, of what happens when Judas takes his own life and, and commits suicide after he received the, the money and, and running from God never ultimately ends well. So I'm not saying you're gonna end up like in the same exact scenario that Judas ends up here, but I am saying running from God never ends well. So just take note of that. And we're, we're gonna shoot down to, to verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. So Peter says, hey, there's work that still needs done, and we need to replace Judas. Judas is no longer here. He's no longer part of the ministry. We need to replace that spot. But we don't know who to pick because we have two great options. And, and, and what they said was, okay, here's how we can select. They had to participate in Jesus' ministry, and, and both of these gentlemen did, and they had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection. And both of these gentlemen were. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, some of you might be really confused right now about what in the world is going on and why are we even talking about this? Like, what, what is happening? So there were 12 disciples. Judas was one of those 12. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he went and he took his own life. He's now died. The, the work of God is not finished. And the disciples are like, hey, this was an essential role. We need to find somebody to fill in that role. And that's where they came up with the criteria. And then they cast lots. Now, we don't have any exact replicas of, of casting lots. Think kind of like throwing dice. If you're, you're ever um, throwing dice, you, you throw dice in a lot of different games, but it, it's, it's throwing dice. So that's, that's kind of a rough correlation to what casting lots were. Casting lots were, were small animal bones and they would, they would shake them, they would, they would roll them, and they would be used to reveal the, the divine will of God. Now, how God worked all of that, I have no idea. I have no idea. And interestingly, this is the last place in Scripture that it shows up to, to reveal the divine will of God. And the reason for that is because the Holy Spirit arrives, and, and then we no longer need to do that. But the lots, they fell on Matthias. And now he is going to be the next disciple turned apostle. And the reason that this is important for us in our context is, one, it's just kind of interesting to think about animal bones instead of dice. But, but another reason that this is important for our context is that the work of God, the work of God is never dependent 
or never finished because of one person. The work of God is never dependent on or never finished because of one person. We see that repeatedly throughout Scripture. We see that repeatedly throughout time. Now, make no mistake, people enhance the work of God. God uses people. For whatever reason, God has chosen to utilize people. But God's work is never dependent upon a person or an individual. It's never finished because one person leaves or dies or anything along those lines. People enhance the work of God. Now, why are, why are we talking about this? Because as a church that needs to be unified and as a church that needs to be praying for things, I'm gonna ask you to devote yourselves to pray along with us in this regard. It's no secret that we have had some staffing challenges. That's, that's not secretive. We have a vision that we want to transform our region. We want to see people, not just here in Algoma, we want to see people across the region exposed to the hope and the love of Jesus. And as such, that is a bigger vision and a bigger purpose than a, a one pastor church. And so we have, been, we have been planning and we have been praying for what that looks like. And we have brought some people in. And, and God, for whatever reason, has taken those people out. Like, not in an Old Testament sense of taking those people out. <laughs> but in terms of the context here. So in a couple weeks... Uh, Sandy, and, Sandy and Nick, who've done such an incredible job, they have some other opportunities, and, and so the, they're no longer going to be with us, and we're going we're gonna to miss them, but we are so appreciative, so appreciative for the job that they have done, and they even hung on for a couple extra months than what they initially agreed to because they, they, love, they love Lakeside, and they, they love leading worship, and so we're so appreciative for what they've been doing, but we recognize, hey, this is a role that we need to fill. And so I'm asking you to be praying for us in that. We're talking right now to some next-gen uh, next candidates. And I'm asking you to pray along with us in that process. Because we really believe when we look at our region that God has some great things in store. And we believe that Lakeside can be a part in a piece of that story. And I wish I could just grab some animal bones and roll them and be like, you're in. For whatever reason, God hasn't done that. And so what I'm asking you to do as, as the Lakeside family is to join us in praying about that. To pray with us every single day that God would bring the people and God would bring the team. And if that looks different than we think it's gonna look, that's great. But that God would reveal that. Because here's my promise to you. The work of God is not dependent on any individual or any one person. And we will do everything we can at our max capacity, at our max capacity to reach as many people as we can for Jesus. And as long as I have the privilege of leading Lakeside, that is what we will do. But I also promise you, 
that I'm not going to burn myself out and I'm not going to make it so my family hates me. And so we have a lid right now. We don't want to have a lid. We, want, we, want, we recognize the potential that we have. And what we need is we need other people on the team. And so I'm asking you to join us in praying specifically for who those people are and that God would bring them here in his perfect time. And I'm just gonna be blunt with you. I don't like God's time on this one. I don't. I don't like it. It doesn't mean I have to. But in God's perfect time, preferably soon, in God's perfect time, that he would bring the perfect fit. And we know there's no perfect candidates. We know we're not a perfect church. We recognize all of those things. But we believe that there is incredible potential for us to be the hope of Jesus in this region. What I'm asking you to do as the family of Lakeside is to come alongside of us and join us in praying through what that looks like. God, we pray that you would work and you would be honored and you would be glorified. God, we know that you have a plan and you have a purpose. And your time is not our time and you're, we, we go back to the Old Testament where it clearly says your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways aren't our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth. So God, are your thoughts higher than our thoughts and your ways higher than our ways? And so God, we just commit our plans to you and ask you to work. We ask you to bring the perfect people to this team that can help us take this vision Make it a reality. That God, the, the energy and the excitement and the life change that we celebrate, that we just celebrated here last Sunday, God, that we would see that all the time. This is your church, God. We thank you for it. And I pray that as people, we'll be unified. We'll be people of prayer. We'll be transparent. We'll be authentic. We'll be loving. We'll be the community that you've called us to be. I pray for the person, God, that's sitting here and just kind of even in their own head wondering why as they think through all the difficulties and all the mistakes. And I pray, God, your spirit would be louder than all those thoughts. And you would remind them that you are the God of second and third and fourth and fifth and six hundredth chances. So we thank you, Jesus. Use us and use this place for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.